0: Thanks for tuning into this episode of Catacast. I'm your host, Eric Allstatter, Eisner Amper's National Cannabis and Hemp Practice Leader. Please welcome my guest, Alan Weiland, National Director of the Financial Advisory Services Group at Eisner Amper. Large enterprises, privately owned companies, and high net worth individuals that face near and far-term accounting issues turn to Alan's group at Eisner Amper for comprehensive audit, accounting, advisory, consulting, and tax services. Eisner represents enterprises of every form, ranging from sophisticated financial institutions to startups, to global public companies and middle market enterprises, as well as network individuals, family offices, not-for-profit organizations, and entrepreneurial ventures across a variety of industries. Welcome, Alan. Thank you very much. Alan, what does it mean when a company goes into receivership? So a receivership
1: cannot use the federal bankruptcy code when they're in distress or financial trouble and therefore have to rely upon state methods of restructuring of a business. So, for example, if you have a lender who was trying to uh, foreclose on their collateral or a lender who's trying to find a way to deal with a distressed cannabis company, a receivership
0: becomes probably the only methodology they can use. Are there technical differences between a receivership and bankruptcy? I know cannabis companies cannot avail themselves of the bankruptcy protection because of the federal legality. What are the differences between a receivership and a bankruptcy? So a
1: receivership does not give you the stay of any litigation that's outstanding against the parties. It doesn't stop your creditors from pursuing actions. It really just provides a forum for you to go address issues of a business. It doesn't give you the same protections that a bankruptcy would give you.
0: And why isn't bankruptcy available to companies in this industry? Is it just a federal illegality or are there other issues? It's the federal illegality. Although there is some recent case uh,
1: that's flowing out of the state of California where a cannabis company that was shut down was able to avail itself of the bankruptcy code. However, the United States Trustees Office that oversees the bankruptcy process has filed an appeal of that decision by that bankruptcy court under the issues of illegality of uh, of cannabis.
0: Does New York or New Jersey do anything differently than any other states regarding bankruptcy receivership laws? Nothing different under the receivership laws in those states versus other
1: states. It's really a, a simple process, although I will tell you that the state of New Jersey, in my experience, has better success with this process than some other states because the judges are looking for a solution to a problem that otherwise would be in a bankruptcy court.
0: Can a company come out of receivership or does receivership mean the end of the enterprise as we know it? Effectively, it's the end of the enterprise. But what happens is
1: oftentimes you'll see a receiver take the business and sell the business out of the receivership without the liabilities coming with it. And in essence, the
0: business continues on, but with new ownership. And typically, how long do companies stay in receivership? Is this a lengthy process? Is it a relatively short process? It's all over the place. It, it
1: could be, it depends upon the situation. Some receiverships are very fast when everything is prearranged and pre structured. There's a buyer that's pre structured, a process in place, and it's just a tool for effectuating a transfer of business or transfer of assets. However, I've been in receiverships that have lasted years. Can a receivership be used to help the cannabis company rehabilitate its finances? Not really. It's really used as a tool when you've come to the end and you're trying to figure out how to either transfer the assets or liquidate the value of the asset for purposes of paying debts.
0: Besides cannabis companies, are there other industries that have used receiverships and experienced positive results? Yes. I Quite
1: frankly, the one that comes to mind is real estate. There are receiverships done in real estate on a daily basis. It's a very effective way of doing the real estate transfer in without using the bankruptcy system, which is very expensive and time-consuming.
0: Well, and you're acting as a receiver in a cannabis company, we'll get to that in a little a little while, but how different is it acting as a receiver in a cannabis company compared to acting as one in a, I, I was going to say a less volatile industry, but I think that all the industries are volatile, but certainly maybe a legal industry is a better way to phrase it. Well the biggest issue is is getting statewide cannabis review
1: commission approval you have to get background checks done you need to go through the entire fingerprinting process criminal background check as a receiver something you would never do in another environment secondly you have to get yourself up to speed on the cannabis laws in the state and understand procedures and processes and the reporting requirements
0: the, the cannabis companies, because of the federal legality, have a have a. It's an interesting operation because they have to compete with legacy or gray businesses for a legal business. How hard is it to compete with those legacy businesses? It's extremely difficult. However, what
1: I have found is that the legal cannabis businesses service a different market. They are all about serving the middle to upper class communities who are looking for a product that is clean, regulated, etc. So, for example, that is the reason why the pricing is so much higher for a cannabis coming through
0: a, a regulated cannabis facility than if someone were to buy it illegally. It's interesting when I, you know, you walk around Midtown Manhattan and there is a dispensary almost on every corner, it feels like. Yet in the state of New York, there I think there are 23 or 24 legal dispensaries. So all these other dispensaries are illegal, but they're popping up left and right. They are. A very contested issue, obviously.
1: You can't walk through the streets of New York without smelling cannabis, and the city has to figure out a way to address it, or else the regulated facilities will cease to operate. A lot of those facilities, apparently, are organized and and supplemented their product illegally from third parties. How is a receiver selected or appointed? So, receivers usually put in place officially by the court. However, oftentimes, a creditor will come to the table and request that a receiver be put in place and they suggest the name of a receiver, and the court will sign off on that receiver as the individual to be utilized.
0: What are some of the high-profile companies that have gone into receivership, cannabis and non-cannabis? So, cannabis companies are dealing with a lot of the the California companies in
1: the cannabis space that have shut down, some of the Colorado businesses that have shut down, who are early achievers in the space who couldn't adapt. I am right now a custodian, which is similar to a receiver of a cannabis company that's a not-for-profit in the state of New Jersey called Harmony.
0: And are there any specific issues dealing with an emerging industry like cannabis that come up in your role as a receiver? Yes. Some of it
1: is based upon product changes. Some of it's based upon law. I will tell you that because it's state mandated, you have players coming in and out of states. So for example, New Jersey is a very hot state right now cannabis companies coming into it for a number of reasons, one of which is fairly early in the adoption cycle. Number two is because there are so many towns in the state that are not allowing dispensaries, especially in the northern part of the state, you're finding those that open up in the northern part of the state have a much larger scope of customer base than you might have in other parts of the country.
0: And typically, we accounts don't like surprises. Were there any surprises during your time as a receiver or acting as the receiver of a cannabis company? Every day. Every day you have a surprise because
1: we have a large ca- a large growing operation, a large canopy in a facility. Uh, we have two facilities growing as well as a retail location and two other retail locations under development. So the surprises you run into are things like, I'll give you an example of something from last week, a electrical circuit blew on a Friday night at 1130 at night, our lights went on for the growing lamps went on in one corner of the facility at three o'clock in the morning. Well, if there's no air conditioning in place, you basically cook the cannabis. So we lost the better part of order of the facility of a grow because of a simple air conditioning circuit breaker going. Those are the surprises in this business that are very different than most other businesses. You're, you're growing a live product and differentiations in the product growth cycle can affect the quality tremendously of what you're
0: growing. One of the things I read in today's newspaper was the concern that there aren't enough dispensaries for the cultivators to sell product to. And that's why some of, and I'm focusing on New York State in particular, New York State is opening up the marketplace to more future dispensaries and more licenses. Do you find that with this company, that you're having, it's a problem to find outlets to sell product. Yes,
1: so we're running into a problem, which is, I'll give you an example: the wholesale price of a gram of product is about thirteen dollars a gram. Wholesale at retail, it's sixty-five. I can't find enough places to sell the product. So you know, we're sitting with a couple million dollars of inventory, and we continue to grow and just building up inventory.
0: For everybody that's listening, for the way the rules read now, cannabis. There's no interstate commerce in cannabis, though there is discussion about having some states allow that to happen. But typically, there is no interstate commerce, so this, the product has to be cultivated and consumed, and the product that's it's cultivated sold. So that that becomes an issue is, is whether or not there's enough there's enough to the distribution marketplace to sell product.
1: Correct. And one of the things you'll see in New Jersey, and I think New York probably has a similar issue, although New York's slightly different issue. New, York's, New Jersey's issue is that it's taken a long time to get through the licensure process for retail operations to sell. Once those retail operations get up and selling, the wholesalers will be able to push their product out the door. I think that there was a lot of wholesale operation, growing operations built and not enough retail operations that got up and running because of the towns in question where you would sell this product. Didn't want it. This is not a product that sells in, it has to sell in a upper middle class community is where you want to be located. That impacted the process because many of those communities didn't want dispensaries in them. In New York state, you have a slightly different issue because New York state has, especially upstate New York, a large number of hemp growers who have now tried to convert their product. So they already had the fields in place, they already had the facilities in place, ready to go. And that's caused that problem, along with the fact that, for example, as you said earlier, there are only 20 plus licenses in the state to sell to. And they can't sell to these, what I'll call illegal locations under their state charters.
0: Alan, my last question is, what is the one thing you would suggest a cannabis company now to do to prepare for the future? Put in
1: controls, put in systems. They are notoriously bad at accounting systems, internal inventory control systems. Yes, there are seed to sale systems in place in these locations, but that doesn't help you control, understand and control what I'll call cost accounting. When I ask people what it costs to produce the product, they struggle. There's no way of knowing what it costs. They look to the fact that they can sell their product at whatever the market is at that point in time. And my comment to everybody is, how do you know you're making money selling the product if you don't know what it costs you?
0: Alan, as an auditor, what you say is music to my ears. Controls are so important, especially in this industry, which is so focused on cash because you still can't accept credit cards for sale of product. And MasterCard recently left the industry as far as debit cards. So you're in a cash business basically. And without having good internal controls over your cash function all your other functions. It's really hard to to be successful. It's
1: inventory and cash. I will tell you that we have more cameras than I've ever seen anywhere in my life in this facility to track product because it's so easy for product to just walk out the door that we have controls in place related to that. We have controls related to the cash that we have come to the front door. That is the part that puts me in a very difficult spot every night. We have saves. We have security guards that are armed. It's a different kind of business, and you have to know what you're getting into.
0: Well, thank you, Alan, for joining us today, and thanks for listening to Canacast as part of the Eisner Amper podcast series. Visit www.eisneramper.com cannabis for more information on podcasts, and for more information on Alan Weiland and myself, Eric Allstatter, join us for our next Canacast podcast where we'll discuss other budding issues. Thank you.